let's do this thing. Let's podcast, bro. Let's do it. Do you know what I've what I've just realized is what? that actually, well, I realized a bit earlier, to to be absolutely honest, but mm-hmm. um, that the daily psalm that we did today, mm-hmm. like, fits in pretty well with our topic tonight in some ways. Um, what are we looking at tonight? Uh, God's written word. God's written word. Sure. Yeah. The, the voice of the Lord. Right? That's what I'm thinking. Yeah. I know it's not the call out and I. Well, in uh, English, it's, the, it's the voice of the Lord. It's the yeah. voice of the Lord. Yeah. I mean, there's a, an association for sure. <laughs> They're both Bible passages. They're both in the Bible. Both concepts. They're both, <laughs> <laughs> They're both real. <laughs> I'm just looking forward to the day when I'm like, hey, do you know what? And you're like, yeah, yeah, that's a great point. But that day hasn't come yet. No, I mean, it, it's it's the voice of the Lord. Amen. Yeah. Like, and and it's just that. You're talking about the scriptures as being the very the very voice of God, though, wouldn't you? Um, yeah, I would. It's just, I suppose, what's going on with that call Adonai aspect is, is just, it's not when you yeah. read your Bible, you know. Um, although it's absolutely connected to what's happening, it is uh, connected. There's a yeah, connection. There is a connection. And if no one, if people don't know what we're talking about, that's because they have no way of knowing about it. Because you just <laughs> sprung that in there. <laughs> what, what we're, what, <laughs> it's not you. It's us. What's uh, what's uh, what's happening is we just quickly did a, a little like Andre sprung a psalm on me and was like, "Fuck, oh, I gotta do a psalm." So we did a psalm. Uh, he's doing a psalm a day. What are you doing? Tell people what you're doing. Uh, well, just, um, you know, during the lockdown uh, to help the church kind of stay connected. Right. Um, and to to help everyone kind of just keep refreshed and make sure people are, are, are staying encouraged and listening to God, but also um, using the psalms to help to pray for each other. And so we decided that as a church, we'd read a psalm together each day. And so I'm just doing a little live stream devotion on the psalm with some basic thoughts that were basic up until this morning <laughs> with some basic thoughts uh, on, on how people can, um, you know, be encouraged by the Psalm and pray for others uh, so, in, in line with the Psalm. So, so this morning was pretty mind blowing. I have to say it was excellent. I'm yep. thinking about posting it to the, to the Meredith Klein group and saying, if you cut him, he bleeds Kleinian. <laughs> it's true i can't help it i mean it's just that i mean how can you not talk about that you know when, no it was it was yeah. awesome yeah so actually i mean you have to watch any of the others but you, uh the uh, it's not like a it's not like a podcast thing it was really just for bethesda but it has it's been quite cool though because one of the one of the the effects of that has been that actually some of the other uh, clergy from Felix Doe have gotten involved. So it has nice. become a little bit of a source of unity for mm. evangelicals like where I am. So it's a great idea. I mean, it's just quite labor intensive, but yeah, I'm beginning to <laughs> thinking like, cause it's just for the lockdown, right? But they keep right. extending the yeah, lockdown. Exactly. So. Well, that's the question. I mean, <laughs> it's like, how long is this thing going to last for? Yeah. At least totally. three more weeks. Right. Yeah. Right. And then who knows, you know, what, what, what does, uh, what does life look like? After and there's that? more and more stuff coming out, mm-hmm. out now saying like, we, you know, lockdowns pretty much a waste of time anyway. So <laughs> I know you gotta love that. So that's encouraging. Yeah, exactly. So we've just like killed the economy for no reason. But anyway, much. anyway, might as well kill it. If it's there to flog, might as well beat it. Um, <laughs> yeah. All right. 
on point. Oh, we're getting back to what we're actually doing. Uh, just a quick run in on this. Um, in case you haven't caught the previous ones, I haven't really, I said I would tag or playlist these so you kind of know where they are and uh, what we're doing here. But I think I'll just wait for a few of them to accumulate before I do that. Otherwise, it's going to look a bit random. Um, but basically, we were just uh, working under the conviction that we talk quite big, lofty theological concepts for the most part. And that's simply because we're not trying to do anything, uh, you know, not trying to break ground with scholarship or anything like that. Uh, we're just simply, you know, we, we tend to be kind of nerdish about this stuff. And um, when we, we just started to record our conversations, essentially, because we just have good, encouraging conversations and we thought other people might be interested. And, uh, you know, it's all part of this greater conversation anyway. And so, you know, um, that that's kind of what gave rise to a lot of our normal podcasts. Um, uh, we'd be talking anyway, you know, on the phone or whatever. So we just thought hit record. But um, part of the problem with that is conversations that on the phone are funny because, like, I'll get off the phone after speaking to Mike for like forty-five minutes, an hour, maybe an hour and a half, and Liz is like, "How's Candace and the kids?" Don't know. Oh, Mike, have no idea. Never, don't never go around to that. Don't, yeah. <laughs> don't, don't talk about that kind of stuff. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> I mean, like, I have no idea how your kids are. You know. As long as they're your children. Have fun. Thanks for asking. As long as they're your children, that's good. <laughs> yeah. You know, and, uh, you know, there's just a basic connection there. But anyway, uh, I digress. You make me digress. Um, what was the yeah. problem? Oh, the problem was that. Um, so we decided know, to do. Well, yeah, it's just going to be all sporadic, right? It's going to be all like over the place if someone actually wants to join us and actually grow in their understanding from the ground up. And and we realized that's not everyone. So I just skipped this if this is too, uh, you know, sort of entry level for you. But, you know, I mean, it, like, I don't feel like it is. And um, and what theology is entry level. So just don't even go there. Just stop being such a jerk. Stay on, stay on and yeah, listen. Listen exactly. to what we're talking about. Um, yeah, pride comes before a fall, guys. Exactly. <laughs> you're going down. Eagle Edom, <laughs> you're coming down. You will go down. Um, Eagle Edom. Eagle Edom. Um, Dan, do you hear that people have been mocking John Piper recently? Oh, man. I don't even want to talk. It hurts too much to talk about it. Dude. I mean, John Piper has caused me such an emotional roller coaster lately. But I still don't think people should mock him. No, you shouldn't mock any other Christians. Yeah. I still Especially love Especially Daddy. You know, Daddy Piper? Come on. Daddy Piper. No I named my daughter after him. Amy Piper. <laughs> That's next level. To be honest, I also just like the name Piper for a girl. Mm. So that, that was also a factor. Probably a bigger factor, if I'm honest. Corona in Christ. That was his uh, <laughs> coronavirus in Christ. This is his new one. <laughs> so it's just like, it's so intense. You hear about it's, it's so Piper, you know, he's just like, what he's like. <laughs> well, did you hear about his, what is like one of the very first series he taught on at this church? You know what it was called? No. When he just became the pastor of Bethlehem Baptist Church. <laughs> Have you not heard about that? No. Okay. So he named the one of the earliest sermon series he ever preaches. Might even be the first sermon series he preaches. It's called was called Missions and Masturbation. Oh yes, yes. I do know that one. Yeah, yeah. It's a great sermon. I mean, I thought it was excellent. One of his best. Yeah, I'm sure. Yeah. I'm sure. I'm absolutely certain. I know. So he's a bit of a I mean, he is like with the Christian hedonism, he's a bit of you know, he's provocative and he's he's not doing that by accident. So that's why we like him. That's why we like him. Um, but it's like, it's just, I mean, you know, this is not mocking him. I mean, I've always liked him for this reason. They always just laughed, you know, it's just kind of one of those funny things that everyone loves and, and, and sort of, you know, it's kind of quirky. But he's just, uh, and, 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 you know, 
Well, what I was going to say is basically he's just so intense, you know, just mm. so intense. Apparently, like you have a conversation with him in real life and it is that intense. It's just like there's no, there's no mid zone. You know, you're just having your steak or, you know, sitting next to him yeah. at the table and it's just, oh, brother, yeah. you know, mm. and it's like Clint Eastwood. I always imagine Clint Eastwood, you know, becomes a Christian and, and you're sitting yeah. talking to Clint Eastwood about like, what it means to follow Jesus. Yeah. I mean, it's full on. I did. I, I once did have a conversation with him and I spent the entire conversation thinking like he was looking at me with such intensity. I thought he really hates what I'm saying. Yeah. Like he's just trying to think, where do I even start with this guy? Like the, it just made yeah. me feel so self-conscious and nervous. Wow. Wow. He's just looking at me like, <laughs> he's, he's just such giving intensity. you, he's just treating you as a soul, bro. He's you're yeah, standing he just there. wants to get in there. He's like he trying to a, look through. Into yeah. No, I mean, he's legit, like legit, legit. You know, I mean, dude, when uh, the, thing I, dies, the thing I like about him, yeah, he's going to heaven, bro. Yeah. You know, and he's going to, well, and, there's no doubt. But the, the thing is, he's, he's also just like, like, cause even though like some of the pietism stuff and you want to critique it and the kind of, uh, the whole justification thing is a problem, but, the um, you know, the, the thing about it is you can't help but respect someone who's just given so oh. totally mm. his life to the immersion in the study of scriptures and exactly. and wanting to live in accordance with those scriptures. It's just very hard not to look at that and think, man, that mm. is quite cool. Yeah, no, he's just one of those guys that I've just, you know, when, I don't care what he says. I'm just always going to treat him with, with some sort of level of, wow, nice, thanks. Now well, he did genuinely, he did genuinely save me from what I would describe would be like a cold orthodoxy, right. you know? Yeah. Like I remember sitting in Pretoria when I was studying there and mm. just listening to his thing on, on uh, was it Luther? No, it was on Gresham Mason, his biography oh, on Gresham Mason. And that's, and you like, know, that's where he's at his best, you know? You kind of almost mm. just wish he would have kind of went down that line a little bit and man those those things are great yeah the, the most painful part for me is just the law gospel contrast stuff and the way that he yeah, yeah. you know he just fuses it yeah. but i mean you've got to appreciate that he's approaching it from this overall hermeneutic that i think that you know it's not what you want it to be and it's borderline oh where's that going but it never mm. seems to write like just fly right off the cliff like you expect it to so you know mm. i think it's it's more like the people that follow him now that that, that are going to have that real problem but anyways so that's piper where how on earth did we get onto that i don't even i've lost my train of thought sorry Where? it's me man it's me i'm just i'm just enjoying chatting i haven't spoken to you in so long that's true all right now I'm just listen we got to try and do this though all right so michael horton yes what we're doing is we're building it from the ground up that's what we're doing right we're, we're just giving you something to work with beyond our mm -hmm. conversation we're just saying all right listen Let's 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 keep at this. Let's build. We're using Michael Horton's Pilgrim theology as a very rough and I repeat, sort of basic guide. Uh, so we're not trying to be faithful to what not he's an exposition there. of Horton. Uh, definitely not. But you know, he's good to reference uh, and and good. I like the way he structured his um, his uh, easy breezy version of the Christian faith. And um, and so we just want to go through that, and hopefully that'll be helpful. And uh, that way, you know, if we're hitting some basic definitions, we'll cover them. And and then the accumulation of these things will be posted in one playlist. So if anyone then want, wants to come in on the conversation, but is feeling like, oh, man, you know, the terminology is losing me. Uh, well, there we go. This, that's what this yeah. is for. It just kind of you can work through those that a little bit more relaxed than lectures, you know, which is often not what you feel like listening to if you're listening to a podcast. And mm -hmm. um, and yet you could still sort of have that experience of moving along and 
going through um, a systematic theology. So we've covered uh, why study theology as pilgrims. Uh, we, we've looked at knowing God, an all-important starting point there. Uh, and now we're looking at really the doctrine of the, the word, bibliology, um, and uh, um, we are basically wanting to move along what he said over here. Um, this is, he, we were just talking about it earlier, that he's packed so much into this chapter. Um, and at one level, it may be, a, it, it's kind of a bit counterintuitive in that you're wanting to get through, you know, piece by piece. But, but I like the way that he has grouped the material together because when people think, you know, canon or um, inspiration, inerrancy, or, uh, you know, what's the difference between the Roman Catholic Bible and the, you know, and the Protestant Bible or, you know, whatever. It, it tends to get very narrow very quickly and almost seems yeah, yeah. disconnected from a lot of what people are living out on a daily basis. Like almost like a mm -hmm. who cares where we land on that question. Here's what I'm actually dealing with. But mm -hmm. what I like about what he's done in this chapter is that he's pulled it all together so that you realize actually uh, the doctrine of the canon or canonicity and the doctrine of inerrancy and the doctrine of sufficiency of the scriptures and the doctrine of uh, what else? Like just, you know, all of those things that we basically, um, uh, hermeneutics even, you know, just those, those things. How do we interpret the Bible? They're all, they're all wrapped up into this question of how do we understand God's word? What, what, what are we to, now that we know God has revealed himself to us, that's the only way we can know him. We know that he's done so through his word. Um, now the issue is taking a, a closer look at that and going, all right, so what does that mean exactly? And um, he's, he's basically uh, looked at three different sections in his book, uh, the inspiration and authority of Scripture. So that's where we talk about verbal, plenary, inspiration. What is, where does it say the Bible's inspired? How do we know it's inspired? Why do we believe it's inspired? Um, and then he talks about uh, the Bible is everything we need for faith and practice. And that's where I get the sufficiency from. And that's where it starts intertwining with the beginnings of cessationism versus charismatic or continuationism uh, theology. Um, and then you end up, uh, I think, just getting right to the heart of it with uh, the covenant canon and how to uh, really conceive of the authority of the scripture in light of other sources of theology like tradition, experience. Uh, you know, all those other areas that we'd look to, history, context, etc. Um, and then he sort of links it to his big thing that he's doing with drama and discipleship and, you know, basically showing that we get these things. We look at the drama of Scripture, we get the doctrine, and it comes through in our discipleship and doxology. So with that in mind, um, when I you, you're, it's actually good. Uh, what did I, I just told you, hey, uh, we, we want to talk about the thing that you're talking about. Oh, the, yeah. So yeah. I, was I was chatting to a Luther Lutheran friend of mine. Mm. And, um, and we were talking, we we're talking about Sola Scriptura and he, he basically said, um, uh, you know, cause I was, I was basically writing an essay, which is about Sola Scriptura. Um, well, at least I've turned it into an essay about Sola Scriptura. That isn't actually the question, but I've forced the question down, down that line. And then, <laughs> and so I was talking to this Lutheran buddy of, of mine about it. And he was like, yeah, Sola Scriptura is a great battle cry, but in reality, it's scripture and whatever your hermeneutic is mm -hmm. or, and he basically said, look, you two options. The one is you adopt a confession that's already in existence or you create your own confession. Mm -hmm. And obviously creating your own confession 
is a bit dodge. It's a bad, so, bad idea. You um, have not got. You have no takes. choice but to look at a pre-exam. Yeah, 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 exactly. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, it's how do you spell cult, you know? But then, <laughs> yeah. um, so so the, I think in a nutshell, that's that's the issue. The issue is, you know, you cannot uh, divorce an interpretation of scripture from a theological reading of, of scripture where mm -hmm. you are coming from a certain commitment to key doctrines. Mm -hmm. And so therefore, so does scripture mm -hmm. has to be understood with that in mind. And, yeah. but I, I, you know, I don't know, but to be fair to him, I don't know if he was saying therefore reject so scripture. I don't think that's mm -mm, the point mm -mm, he's making, but, mm. um, and, but that's, that's, I think, uh, an important question because mm -hmm. a lot of people don't think like that. Mm -hmm. A lot of people will come to the scriptures and say, um, oh, so scripture and have in mind something like me and my Bible. You know, mm -hmm. that actually solo scripture means I go with my Bible, not think about anybody uh, else or their interpretation of the Bible. I come up with my own conclusions and come hell or high water. No one's going to move me from my position. Mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. So in the name of defining terms, solo scriptura, the Bible alone, uh, one of the battle cries of the Reformation that are often... Um, uh, it, you know, it doesn't mean the Bible only without any reference to anything else. Uh, you should never take any other source for your theology. It just means uh, that the Bible is the highest authority for our understanding of of, of life and certainly theology. But um, solo scripture is often the, the derogatory sort of fly around there and that, you know, people treat it as if it just means, you know, the Reformation was saying, hey, just get away from all all other sources of understanding and basically just you and your Bible and, you know, you don't want confessions, you don't want creeds, you don't want history, you don't want tradition at all. You just want your Bible. And, and that's never really what it was intended to, to say. Um, and so, uh, you know, that fits in, I think, certainly where, where Horton goes with this. Uh, so let's let's circle back and, and ask the question, well, what is the place of, uh, you know, creeds and confessions and how do we actually hold up a true doctrine of Sola Scriptura? How do we how do we actually believe that the Bible is inspired and work it out now in our practice? Um, in terms of the inspiration and authority of the text, um, uh, you know, he he talks. I mean, he goes to um, the, um, you know, what I like about he, he he goes to Jesus and he says, "Listen, here's here's the way Jesus took it. Here's the way he understood it. Let's start with that." You know, Jesus in, it proved that he was God by the resurrection, and he. Uh, totally thought and, and thought of the Bible as the highest authority. So we really need to work with that rubric if we've already accepted chapter one, which ended off on the gospel, which I thought was good. Um, the, the process of figuring out how exactly inspiration uh, works in perhaps distinction from a more kind of uh, dictation oriented method or, or, and then even how that's different from what we talk about when we think about illumination, I think it's all important points. So let's just kick that around for a second. Um, when we're talking about inspiration, uh, he, you know, he says, listen, that word does not mean what you think it means when you are inspired, you know, a prophet, this, uh, poet was inspired and he wrote this, this poem, um, you know, this artist was inspired, you know, we'll use, we'll throw that around. And that's not at all what we mean when we talk about the, the scriptures being inspired. Um, if anything, they're expired, they're breathed out of God, they're uh, from God. And that brings out the next question, well, how exactly did that work? 
and uh, he he talks about the differences there between, let's say, like some views that are held by uh, Islam or, or even some cults, Jehovah's Witness, the mechanical dictation view, where you're just sort of like your eyes are rolling back and you're just going for this, you know, and you have no real, real, um, you know, it's kind of, it reminds me of how Led Zeppelin was supposed to write Stairway to Heaven. You know the story. I know the story. Yeah, I think get possessed. <laughs> get possessed. The, the pen, uh, the pen just you know pumps out the words. Exactly, and um, that's not the way the Bible was revealed. Um, <laughs> it's a it's an organic method, right? Which is what he just basically they use the personality, the context, uh, all of that's being used in um, the way that the Bible is revealed, but. What he talks about as well is that verbal plenary inspiration, verbal meaning the, the actual words of the, the Bible, plenary in its fullness uh, from beginning to end is all expired, let's, let's say, and, uh, and we're trying to come to terms with what, what that means. Uh, did you have to wrestle with any of that in your paper recently? Um, no, not so much in the, not so much in the, in the essay, but uh, I just think you know, the, the helpful point there is that when you think about inspiration you think about someone having like a moment of, of genius and yeah. when you think of uh but the biblical picture that you get in like is timothy and um and in in peter as well about being carried along by the uh, by the prophets the uh, about uh, carried along by the spirit um is this kind of idea of all scripture is god breathed you know uh, and I remember someone actually got me to do that once where you try and speak words without breathing out, you know, right. If, you know, you could try that if you want, <laughs> like it's, it's impossible. It's impossible to do. Yeah. You cannot make a sound unless you are breathing out. And so the idea of, of the scriptures in, in Timothy is that, um, you know, all of the scriptures are literally breathed out, spoken yeah. um, by God. So that's where the expired right. thing it comes from. And so the, I think what was important is that you're not actually necessarily talking about the person being mm. inspired as much as you're talking about the actual words being inspired. Yeah, totally. Uh, well, expired. <clears throat> yeah. Yeah, good point. Um, and then in terms of what, I mean, we're talking about the originals, um, which yeah. is another big thing. We're not talking about um, our yeah. Bible translations. And uh, even the, the Greek text behind our Bible translations. Yeah. Yeah. And that's uh, often something that's quite a shock to people to hear. They have to wrestle with that. Yeah. Certainly King James only guys don't like that. You know, that's a big, oh, what are we saying over here? But it's the reality. And yeah. um, Well, this, was, this did come up in the essay. And mm. this, this is an important thing because it basically, um, uh, so it's interesting. When, when you talk about something like inerrancy, Okay, inerrancy is quite modern vocabulary, really, mm. and it was it was used as a specific way of combating certain false teachings that were mm -hmm. coming into the church, right? Mm -hmm. um, but it became necessary to remember that we only talk about inerrancy when it comes to the original. So, like you go back to Princeton and Warfield and those guys, mm -hmm. and that's where this distinction really came to the fore. I'm not say, I'm not sure that that's the only time you have this distinction, but it, it certainly became mm -hmm. like key mm -hmm. fundamental but it's not i unfortunately like um it was also the time when fundamentalists broke away from evangelicals so mm. if initially we're kind of all in the same group 
we're you know the fundamentals of the faith and you had right. Warfield and these other guys all committing papers to the same journal amazing yeah yeah <clears throat> and then um when we started split doing things like splitting uh inerrancy being exclusively to the original autographs and not to the manuscripts mm -hmm. then you start having uh this issue where the more you know what became now we call the fundamentalists the king james only guys would be among that group mm. um who are saying no we're not we're not happy with that my english bible contains no errors mm. um and actually whereas warfield and the princeton you know old princetonians they're all like no no you're there are lots of lots of errors um in the there are very small errors usually but mm -hmm. the, there are lots of lots of errors in the um in the the some of the copies in the translations and, mm. and that kind of thing and that's not a threat to our confidence in scripture no um, yes we don't have any of the originals and um no. and so the, the i know the first obvious kickback would be okay well what's the point you know but yeah. the, the thing is, we're able to get back with 99% clarity. And I'm not just talking about some guy thinks we've got a good shot at understanding it. I'm talking every textual critic, like in the science of textual criticism, which is a technical, not, not even a Christian thing. It's a, it's a secular, any, every, everyone that looks at ancient documents has to figure out what, we don't hardly have the originals of anything. So they have to try and put it together. And so this is a very refined science and, and, uh, and um, you know, using these objective principles, they're able to take existing manuscripts, and and it's legit. I mean, if you've ever looked at it, basically the concept is all right. Well, you know, we've got our original that was at point, let's say B, um, on the map, right? And mm -hmm, we mm -hmm. we want to know what it said. So let's go to point A, which is in perhaps another country or another region entirely that had no connection to point B. And let's find out what the, uh, you know, the copies of point B say, and, and let's try and ascertain that. And they'll use a whole bunch of different principles to get to that. But then let's come back to point A and let's relate point A, which we have copies for as well, and to point B, knowing they have no connection to one another. And let's see where they disagree and, and agree. Uh, where they agree, there's almost, you know, I mean, that's just one one. Uh, you know, thing that would indicate of millions more uh, that actually would likely onto something. I mean, how can it do anything but indicate what the original would have said uh, if you know they didn't they weren't talking to each other and all they had was that original to to copy from. Um, and then you bring in point C and point D, and the same thing is happening, and none of them are talking to each other outside of these copies. And and so, anyways, the bottom line is, if you you just, I mean, it's quite a, a an amazing idea. Let's say we happen to like someone preserved a copy of the inspired original manuscript that we're talking about here. Uh, how would we know? We wouldn't have any certainty that that was the original. Yep. We would just some, be on someone's say-so. And then, you know, it would probably be Rome in the Vatican or something. And then it becomes a Roman Catholic thing, or you know. <laughs> and so the, the reality is this way. It takes a right out of that whole, this guy said it's true. And this is just, this is now via an objectivity. That, that not even mm. the, the haters of Christianity can dare approach on this point. This is one of those conclusive realities. They can disagree with what mm. the Bible says but and even hate what it says, but they can't disagree that what it says was likely 99.9% yeah. uh, what, the, what, the, what the original said. And um, and then but, even on on that point, you know, just just uh, to wrap up that idea that that missing 0.1%, I mean, I don't want to say it doesn't affect any doctrine, but no doctrine of consequence, right? And, and no uh, 
no doctrine that anyone is really going to care about. It's usually, if you look into it, it's really random stuff. That honestly, you know, you don't I don't, to, I don't think any any doctrine at all. Well, what I'm thinking is. is like if you want a doctrine of the snake handling cult thing, you know. Uh, okay, you, know, yeah, you, yeah. you might have a bit of a leg to stand on on some screw, uh, you know, some non-canonical passage, um, and yeah, yeah, okay. and so that sort of thing. But no doctor, yeah. I mean, anyone within the scope of sort of a broad orthodoxy is gonna feel like, okay, well, it's basically is it three chariots? Mm, or did that mm. chariot have like a wheel, or did it, did it have <laughs> two wheels? Or you know what I mean? And yeah. it's just like, was he looking at the one side of the chariot? Or, and like, no one cares at the end of the day. It's yeah. only scholars yeah. that care about that stuff. So you know, for what you're what you're losing by not having that little micro one percent, and what you're gaining is a pure sense of object objectivity. Like we mm. know that what is true of the inspired originals is true of the copies we have in, in mm, the mm. in the um, original languages to a high degree and like almost full degree of of um of certainty and then mm. of course you got the translation issues on top of that so we're not not saying any translation uh, you know is inspired or, or more authoritative than the other it's just i mean that's just a crazy idea I love the way that the I mean, King James gets it as well. I mean, like, come on. Of all people yeah. in the world, why the King James Bible? You know? Ah, King James, dude. Yeah, I love it. Have you ever seen that? Have you ever seen that interview uh, between James White and the and the King James only guy in the States? You know, the the, the oh, famous guy. guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Um, and and James White's like, so why do you why do you think, you know, the King yeah. James is the only one? And he's like, because when I read it, I just feel like God is speaking to me. And James White just looks at him like this, like burning like, in the bosom. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's like, it's like, do you see what you've just done there? <laughs> you've just made yourself the standard of all truth. <laughs> yeah. Oh man! It's like, how can you not see how stupid you are? You know, that's oh, sort of like, I mean, I look, I get it. I was like, I like it. it's a great translation. It's like a powerful, yeah, majestic yeah. style. But it's like, come on, yeah. Anyway, so that's what we're not saying that the King James is the inspired Bible here, and and there's a whole lot of rationale behind that. Now. Obviously, there's more to say on that. You know, without I don't know if there's anything you wanted to add before we moved on there. Well, there's I just think that three three uh, myths. The one uh, is that this is a new problem that came about because of modern sophistication. It's not. Uh, you, know, you can go back to the church fathers. And they're 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 fully aware of um, manuscript discrepancies yes. and are and are claiming an authoritative inspired scripture. So it's not like it's not like it's a modern problem that's arisen from science, yeah. you know, and developments in science. Actually, we've always known this. Yeah. yeah. And it's never been a problem. Um, the second um, myth, I think, is that we can think that uh, manuscript discrepancies are are a problem. They're not actually the manuscript discrepancies help us. The reason we're able to know the truth is because we've got so many texts. And that's what it's means just nothing like it. it out. Nothing like it. I mean, if you go to the Quran, they've got one Quran, but that's only because they destroyed all the rival copies, which means that now they have now you don't know, no idea. Is, yeah, yeah. No idea whether what they have is the actual original because they have nothing to compare, contrast, examine. Whereas we don't, we don't have no problem. You yeah. know? Exactly. It's that's what I was saying thing. before. Yeah. I mean, that's exactly, that's a great point. That's exactly the, the issue you would have in the wisdom of God. He just, you know, it didn't allow that to happen. So, yeah. Amen. Exactly. You have to understand God knows what he's doing. And, and it's yeah. why you have, you know, why in the history of the church has nobody tried to flatten out little, little, you know, problems like uh, how many times the rooster crowed and, and that kind of mm. thing. It's because mm. no, 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 it's all these sort of, these sorts of discrepancies are good, are good. They help us yeah. to discern truth. 
historians um, love that stuff. I mean, that's the earmark of credibility uh, right there. They're like, oh, we got something yeah. real. We got something real. Yeah. yeah well, exactly. I mean, my first my first uh, pastor was a was a a, um, a lawyer and a, a magister by what are you going magistry magister magister. I think it's Magister, the guy who is anyway. Guy, may, he, <laughs> he wasn't. It was wasn't a mage. mage? Uh, but he used to say that basically when you're listening to, to testimonies, um, you never believed the testimonies that, that were exactly in you know the same you you know that if everybody comes and, and gets all the details yeah, they got the exactly story. the same way they have colluded you know that without and any... and no one no one makes themselves to be the idiots of the story either you know That's if, they, if they want to start a religion after themselves you know <laughs> if they want yeah. to be the holy apostles of the new christianity you wouldn't be the yeah. idiots in the story no yeah the, and, the, the and that goes idiots. all the way back to the beginning like we yeah. are always the, the god's people are always the idiots yeah. in the bible yeah so all that stuff very authentic very um but the last the last thing that that horton um drew out that i thought was so helpful was mm. the whole thing about how um you know this this whole process it can feel so human mm. right um, like, you know, the idea, the thing that's attractive about a kind of mechanical view of inspiration mm. where it just kind of flops out the Bible, or you get possessed and you, you know, scribe yeah. out something yeah. is because it seems so divine, mm. but actually you realize that the textbook mm. mark of God's involvement in this world is, you know, he, he works through. Uh, the ordinary as well as through the extraordinary and yeah. so he draws this whole thing doesn't he from um you know going right back to creation mm. about mm. god working through fiats mm. and through summonses mm -hmm. is that mm -hmm. right? yeah so i, mean, they, fiats, I think he like talks about that some more in the christian faith rather than pilgrim theology but but yeah i mean those are okay. those are great points right. yeah exactly um, um, so so God God works through these kind of ordinary messes is yeah. is, is the textbook mark and you go back through the beginning, you read through Genesis, he's, he's summonsing, uh, it's a summons for people to bear fruit uh, through ordinary means. And God is at work through those ordinary means to achieve things. So we don't need to be freaked out by those three things. No. I just if anything, I mean, and again, this kind of does go back to what we were talking about last time with the ladder, you know, the ladder is going infinitely up to, you know, we're not, mm. we're not dealing with the ladder from us to God. Uh, we're dealing with God in a completely different, like person and entity and realm. And, um, and you know, that, that relates to this issue of, of inspiration and the way, I mean, really, God's sovereignty and man's responsibility is one that we'll see this relate to again. Uh, but, but in terms of the way God would make use of the ordinary um, to, to bring about his exact will shows the complete control of God over the ordinary. It's almost like it's not less divine, it's more divine, because it's almost like God, God is now showing that as the author, he writes the story, and you know, I mean, the character is not—he's not, you know, rolling his eyes back when the story is getting written. The character is the character, but God, in, who is the author, not in the book. He's—he's mm -hmm. he's completely mm -hmm. in a different realm. He's a human being in this uh, in this analogy, and uh, we're characters on the on the page. We're really these little, yeah. you know, um, words on a page, and that's really the kind of you know. Uh, of course, Paul talks about the. The um, the putter and the clay, similar mm -hmm. sort of mm -hmm. thing. You've got that. That's the difference, and um, and so, you know, when you say that God can almost like, 
you know, do everything that could be done by a complete total dictation without dictating yeah. <laughs> and, and, yeah. and working in the moment. I mean, you're talking about someone that you're talking about the true and living God at the end of the day. Um, it's often like that, isn't it? The things that you think, they seem spiritual, but actually when you really think about it, mm. they're actually more worldly than spiritual. You know, it's things like, you know, the whole issue that Paul was dealing with in Colossians and, and all that, all the stuff that seems spiritual. Mm. But actually when you really think about it, it's spiritual in the sense that it's, it's what people would expect. Like you think about yeah. uh, the view of one God, you know, mm -hmm. in the, for, you know, monism from, from an, like an Islamic thing, mm -hmm. you know, mm -hmm. it seems like, a sensible view of God, but actually that's the very thing that is it's it, it makes God the creature at the end, you yeah. know, because yeah. there's no separation between the creation and the creature. Yeah. So it's it's really it's it's a good point. Uh that you know, going and uh climbing onto the mountain and having the vision and dreaming the dreams. We've we've got these caricatures yeah. and, and like yeah. extreme asceticism and all that yeah. kind of stuff. Like it's all just like such a ladder climbing thing. Mm. Whereas actually mm. true true spirituality means God is just dictating would be a waste of time to me. He doesn't need to do that right and uh climbing up a mountain would be even a bigger waste of time as a, as a <laughs> sinner um yeah so you know all that sort of stuff plays in and it's good to see that because we're seeing the kind of web of theology uh flow out from this point maybe um we're getting on in time but maybe just um i will just say that in t you know a lot of it, the chapter it's it's worth a read and we'll come back to this when we look at things like the sufficiency of scripture so i won't labor on that mm. point now but the idea that um, God has given us everything we need is obviously the other point of whether there is something else being given at this point. You know, so if we ask the question, should we be charismatic or continuations or cessationists? Right, right. Uh, you know, we really actually are asking, is the is the canon sufficient? Um, right. And so yeah. you kind of could and do need to cover it at this point, but but I won't. What I do like to say to people though is. Um, just to open the discussion a bit, when people say, oh, cessationism, oh, you, you know, all these, all these things, all these thoughts, all this baggage, well, that means you, you're this kind of Christians, you, you know, you, you're not, you're not open to any emotional sort of this, and it just brings in all of these ideas, yeah, yeah. but I like it the way it concretizes the whole thing, if that's even a word, but it brings it into um, uh, this, you know, what we're actually asking is, how, why do you believe that the Bible ends where mm -hmm. it ends? And mm. what makes up mm. the Bible? And why is the yeah. canon the canon? And a lot of people have not thought about that, which is just stark raving crazy, you know, because like yeah. you've just said, I'm going to live according to this book. So, you know, you've got some versions of it in, in Roman Catholicism that has more books in there. And and uh, and, and who got to say yeah. that it was this, this amount of books and not this amount of books? It's an important question because that affects doctrine. Yeah. You know, if you've got some other books in there, not to mention Mormons and cults and whatnot, mm -hmm. but, you know, mm -hmm. in, in, in terms of that, that you've got to settle that, right? This is, uh, if we're going to say the no, scripture so is important. Up, yeah. And coming in, and it's not only um, that you have to deal with it at the charismatic end of the spectrum. Mm. Again, the question we posed right at the beginning was even in conservative reform circles, you've got to work out, well, yes. why any need for a confession? Right, you know, like, right. and, and the role of the confession and the right. relationship of a confession to the scriptures. Exactly. You know, so like we have to get into this. Mm. And, um, and I think most Christians, if you had to do a poll, would say that they believe in a closed canon. Mm -hmm. But if you asked them, well, why? Mm. They wouldn't be able to answer the question. Exactly. And I think, yeah. And, 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 you know, if you ask a Roman Catholic, you're going to get a different reply. Right. Um, it, and you know maybe uh certainly if you ask some folk from charismatic 
backgrounds, you're going to get a, a different reply. Yeah. But also, if you speak to people within in the reform thing, you don't always get a, a no. consistent uh, no. reply either. But and the reform so, guys have come up with the best answers. And and you know what I would say, obviously, we don't have time to delve into a full scale thing. But let me just make some recommendations. Like BB uh, Warfield, it's on the internet. It's one essay. Anyone can read it. It's it's really well done. It's the best thing I've ever written, yeah. uh, read at least. <laughs> and um, uh, it's called. If you go BB Warfield, it's the best Canonist, thing you've never written. <laughs> best thing I never even got close to writing. But uh, <laughs> it, I think it's called the Canon of the New Testament or something like that. If yeah. you Google something along those lines, you'll get it definitely. Um, and then Ritabas on uh, Canonicity. It's a thin little book, definitely worth getting and reading. And it's mm-hmm. just redemptive history on the Canon of uh, the New Testament Canon. And then, of course, for Old Testament, I mean, the, truly the best thing out there is Meredith Klein's Structure of Biblical Theology. It just totally slams the question of how it is that we have an Old Testament canon. And um, I think everything he says there applies uh, in the new as well. So you you almost, now we can come back to that and look at that in more detail. But what I do want to just say is what, what, um, what um, Horton does bring out there in that, in coming back to your Mm -hmm. question as to why, why it is that we can have uh, confessions and we can adopt tradition and we can take these things on board, especially Mm -hmm. confessions when we're thinking about, how to actually listen to and apply and understand this Bible, um, and yet say that the Bible alone is the Word of God. Um, he talks about the distinction between a ministerial and a magisterial authority, and this is something we're going to come back to again and again mm. and again, and it's something that often emerges in our conversations, and so it's worth talking about here. Uh, a magisterial authority is really it's what we're ascribing to the Scripture. It's that ultimate authority, that interpretive authority, that authority above all authorities. A ministerial authority has a, has a role that, that serves. Um, and so, you know, we, we're preaching, for example, or in, uh, when a teacher of the church is, is gifted to, to, uh, to teach. We're thankful for it. We need that, but we need it in a ministerial sense, not in a magisterial sense. Uh, the problem with Roman Catholicism was that they basically, the magisterium became the, the do-all and end-all together with the canon as the source of, of, of authority. Um, and so the, the magisterial authority needs to be left to the canon of Scripture alone. You have to have ministerial authorities as well. But mm. you can never switch those two. Mm. And so with a, with this, uh, you know, something like a confession, you've really got what is true of every local church and a pastor and a mm. teacher and anything you appreciate by way of uh, the giftedness in the body, like compounded because basically all of those teachers have come together and they've sought wisdom in the council of many and they've hashed it out together and they've just you know they've come up with these very precise doctrinal statements over the years uh in these in these various councils in the church would be absolute fools not to not to take on board every bit of ministerial authority that those things bring to us but Mm. they serve us they're not magisterial they're not one 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 more little point that maybe helps someone for me at the time you know and usually find this in some systematic theology under sources of theology so if you look at that you want to look at some more but, you know, you imagine like the players of, of theology, the sources of theology, like you got reason, logic, philosophy, all that stuff. I mean, it's there. We think about that. We need that. You've got experience. That is there. We got history. That is there. All these players on the stage. Um, what else? Tradition, everything, you know, all those things feature science, even, um, mm-hmm. you know, whatever, we, knowledge in general. Um, but right at the front is the Bible. Uh, and when we're and what that's indicating there is that the Bible's leading the pack, right? Uh, he's mm-hmm, the main, mm-hmm. 
He's the main player. He's the main uh, actor. And, and, and that's the big idea. It's not we're saying that Bible, so low scripture, saying all the other actors get off the stage, please. We just want one actor. We want the Bible. And, um, and that's, that's going to end up a mess. I mean, you know, then you end up with your King James only sort of things where you're just not listening to reason anymore. Um, mm. You can't even interpret your Bible properly because you've, you're not allowing yourself to be ministered to by those things uh, that are given to the church to help figure things out. And, um, and so, you know, you want those players on the stage. You just want to make sure they're ordered correctly. And you could even say, well, is, is, is uh, not charismatic, sorry, dissing charismatics for no reason there, uh, but is emotion supposed to be right behind the Bible there? So is it like Bible and then emotion and then reason and then history? Or, you know, what is the order at which these characters stand on the stage? And that's another conversation. And to the degree that you arrange the characters, you end up with different denominations in many sense. Uh, you know, some will value tradition right up there, uh, but not at the same place as the bible or even in front of the bible which would be rome um and you know you have something just behind it, it might be anglicanism you have um you know the guys that come along and really value reason and they end up you know it's a lot of post-rationalistic uh, enlightenment sort of uh, thoughts jonathan edwards john gill even comes to mind um you know so anyways bottom line is you can play around with those stages but we need all of them there uh stay, yeah. play around with the characters at least you need all of them on the stage and that's just a helpful way to process how we should think about solo scripture. Mm, mm. Yeah, yeah. No, I think that's exactly right. I was just thinking as well, um, Tim Ward, have you come across this one? I don't even know what you look. Uh, the words of life. Can you, oh, can you see that? Oh, yeah, sorry, I can. I can. By who? Uh, Tim, Ward. Tim, Tim Ward. Okay. He's um, a local guy in London. Um, but basically every evangelical that I've read who's written anything on hermeneutics has said, this is fantastic to, okay, get, cool. to get. Awesome. Um, and, and he, he basically teaches people how to preach at Cornhill training course, but oh, the, well, he used to, but uh, um, uh, he's got a great chapter on solo scripture is the why is the reason why I'm okay. Um, bringing it up because Excellent. some of these issues um, are exactly, are exactly addressed in that chapter as well. So, you know, mm -hmm. it's it's again, it's a it's a popular level book, easy to read. Okay, brilliant, um, cool. But it draws in some heavy stuff. Awesome. Um, yeah, that's it in a nutshell. The church is not the church doesn't form the canon. The canon forms the church. That's another big statement yeah. in in the chapter, and that's if you want more on that, go and look at at Meredith Klein, structure of biblical authority. But that's a yeah. big thing. The canon didn't get formed by some you know right. council. Uh, if anything, the church was formed by the canon. Uh, in, in other words, the word of God was revealed from the very beginning. When it when it's revealed, it's it's that authority right there. I mean, there's nothing makes it what it is. It just it mm -hmm. is. And to the degree that a worshipful community senses around that promise, like in Genesis four twenty six, they started to call upon the name of the Lord. Voila, the canon has created the church, the community. Mm -hmm. And so it, that dynamic keeps playing out. But read B.B. Warfield yeah. as well, as, if you want a little essay on that. Uh, I love what R.C. Sproul always used to say about that. Like, you know, the, the, church, the church deciding the canon is the most ridiculous thing ever. You know, it would be like saying that creation created the word. Yes, that's great. You know, yeah. no, the word, the word 
creates creation. Man, um, it's a great way to end. Yeah, because um, you know, and that takes a lot of people out too. They go to Rome because of that question, like who who made my table of contents in my Bible? And uh, oh, it must have been Rome. All right, let's go to Rome, yeah. Sole Ecclesia. But it's yeah. uh, the church has a role. The church has a role, which is to recognize that. Yeah. Exactly. You know, that which is biblical. Mm-hmm. And that's as true of heresy or false teachers or false preaching or false prophets as it is of canon. Mm-hmm. Um, and so the church did have a role to recognize that. But that, mm-hmm. it's interesting that that's the language that's used, that of recognition rather than that of decision. Totally. And even on the recognition aspect, sometimes they make it sound like, you know, a council got together and like we, we collectively sense that this could be the right book yeah you know yeah and uh not that yeah. one we just don't collectively sense the majesty in that one you know and it's just it sounds <laughs> yeah. like wow a lot of collective subjectivity but you read bb warfield's argument and he's like no this is how it works yeah apostolicity yeah. there it is right there basically the apostles told him what were the you know they're 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 the apostolic legates of christ they're uh you know they're they're receiving exactly what is the word they know where, where the canon lies they tell the churches they give the the church uh the word as canon and the church recognizes that not not because it's like some mm. sub- subjective thing the, the only complicated reality is that the apostles needed to ch- well the churches needed to check with other churches where the apostles went and they needed to figure out exactly what the apostles had said and uh you know yeah. and you could tell by the way the church immediately received this word that in fact this was you know it's likely the case and so there's a bit of a bit of um uh you know a bit of a process there but in, i mean they're not they're not trying to just sense yeah. the spirit and they the were words. obligated like i think the the other thing is it's not like it's not like it was um something where you could be like uh, uh, uh. it was like oh man that is apostolic it has to go in the bible you know well, like, you know to state it was- provocatively like if the apostle paul said hey listen i got a spider-man comic for you that's going yeah. after mark all right you're putting that there <laughs> you know what i mean like i mean you know like you might you might have been able to say to him uh, i don't know about that you know but then once he heals everyone with his shadow you know to kind of say no no, no this is seriously the spider-man comics going there i mean you just roll with it at that point right that's uh he's proven mm-hmm. he's like mm-hmm. the moses that has taken you through the red sea you don't argue with that guy yeah. anymore he's proven he's from god and, and the bottom line is you're you're, yeah. you're receiving at that stage and um obviously obviously no no spider-man comics were revealed you know it, it, but that's the point like it, the burden really mm-hmm. wasn't on them to go oh i feel like this one might have been inspired yeah. This was a yeah, really yeah, good yeah. one. Good job on this one, Paul. I think we're gonna. Yeah. I, I feel like this is a keeper. You know, yeah, they're yeah. not. It's doing not that. like it's not like great sermon pastor after Ex- the exactly. after after church. You know, exactly. it's not like oh great letter, Paul. That's going in. Oh, that's going yeah. in. That's no, the no, greatest no. hit. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, no, he's going, no, no. The that's people g- will love this, you know? <laughs> <laughs> he's going, no, no, that one kind of sucked. And people will hate it, but you're going to put it in. Because <laughs> that letter to Philemon, it's going yeah. in. It's going in. Yeah, Yeah. exactly. So anyway, uh, bottom line, read B.B. Warfield, and and this will probably come up at some point for us again. But let's cut it there. I think we're more or less at the hour mark. Uh, All right, there we go. I feel like we conquered the world and and, uh, did something good today. We certainly tried, Mike. We We certainly certainly tried. tried. (laughs) All right. What I'm going to get right, without a doubt, is my playout. All right, here we go.